Gaming NBS episode 250 coming to you Sunday, July 7th, 2019. Welcome to Gaming and BS, tabletop RPG podcast. I am the S. I am the B. Welcome, folks. Good to have you all here. Sean, how the hell are you doing? Doing fantastic, Brett. I picked up a couple trinkets today. Did you? I did. I bought my official Call of Cthulhu, the other gods, Nyrolethotep dice set. Nice. And Call of Cthulhu keeper screen. Ah. Yeah, I'm all in, man. Um, <laughs> you are all in. I, I don't have the investigator handbook, but uh, I am. I'm running masks. You're cooking. And, you're cooking with gas now, brother. I got a lot of shit over here going on. I haven't even busted open the prop set, and I I busted open the in the slipcase of the mass of Nyrolethotep comes a screen for the campaign, which has nothing to do with the rules. Mm-hmm. It's just. Um, player character or non-player characters and a couple other things. That's cool. It also comes with over 196 pages of handouts. Okay. That aren't organized. Like, well, aren't organized. They're not. They're not labeled. Oh. So I literally have to probably get some envelopes and start sticking things per by like chapter or encounter or by location because there's no way I'm going to be able to go through all these and just go here. Well, if you look in the book itself in the back, it should does the does the adventure itself have in the back like they used to anyway. Like hey, this is for this and this is for this. Does it have that? It It's like an appendix for um Anyway, it's in the book. You'll find it's it. It's in the book. Like You'll if you it. read it and you yeah. get to a point, it'll say this handout, handout five, handout number five, and it will show handout number five. They don't put it in the back; they put it in line with God. The, okay, okay, with the adventure. Okay. But if you want to hand it to somebody, mm-hmm. you still got to find where that thing is. Oh, so you need to organize yourself <laughs> a little bit. Get yourself a portable filing cabinet. That's what you're going to need. Yeah, but I kicked this off. Tuesday, and uh, for those of you that aren't in the know, I posted this on Patreon. Uh, I posted it on Patreon, Twitter, and Facebook pages that I am going to kind of record. I have a video recorded. It's about fourteen minutes long uh, of some of the things that I'm using and what I'm doing, and I'm going to make that available to all patrons of the show exclusively. And then maybe a year later, I'll create it. I'll make them public or a month later, I'll make them public. But it's all, you know, I'll say, hey, this is what we got going on. Here's the player characters. Here's the players. Hey, this is what happened last week. Here's where I screwed up. Here's what I should have done better. So I have I have one video that's done. Yeah, you can look. Hey, here's the ones that are dead. Here's who here's the new characters are. Here's how this went bad. Yeah. Do you actually think you're going to complete that adventure? Yes, Brett, I do. Why wouldn't I? If I started out the adventure going, I'm never going to complete this. No, I'm just, I, no I, I get it. I'm just, it's years, like real time. Dude, I got this. All right. I got this. Cool. 
I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to it. I, I have been in part of Massive Nylothotep twice, and it has never gone the distance. So I am rooting for you, man. Because we're I using think, pulp rules. Yeah, even I mean, regardless of what the rules, are, I I am I'm pulling for you because I. Oh, really so the interest do. level could wane. Yeah. No, it wasn't the interest level. It was just scheduling and shit fell apart because life hit us and it crumbled each time. Yeah. But I'm pulling for you, man. I think you got this. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be fantastic. This last weekend, I ran my uh, Pathfinder game for my crew in the Outlands of Avalon. It went really, really well. I had a really good time. We yeah. Had a huge goddamn brawl coming up next time. Huge brawl. Yeah, huge, huge. Yeah. The guys like the tactics, so I've I've been collecting minis, and I I know what I'm gonna do. It's gonna be fun. It'll probably take the whole session. Sweet. <laughs> it's going to be fun. That's going to be fantastic. All right. Shall we go on? We Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to cover. Um, any announcements from you, Brett? No, I'm good. We're cool. All right. Let's get into Random Encounter. Let me turn that up so I always do it. <laughs> All right. Start. All right, I'll start, I guess. Jared of House Rasher comments on GM meta terms. So from our last episode, 249. Thanks for the shout out for the review. Uh, I think the GMing meta terminology discussion does get a little, well, forgive me, generational. It seems like both of you settled on, hey, it's okay for younger GMs that don't have the uh, the frame of reference yet. But I have to say, that feels a little like assuming the older generation has it right, and eventually these young whippersnappers will do it the right way. Well, I think that's exactly what we meant, Sean. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> carry Jared, on. Get, out of, get out of my head, Jared. <laughs> carry on. Keep going. I say this because the nomenclature surrounding games is increasingly going to assimilate terms from other forms of similar media. Side quests aren't new, but they are more prevalent in open-world games and MMOs, but older-generation gamers have already started to absorb and use terminology like boss monster when discussing stories. The degree to which anyone is shifting between game terminology, meta-discussion of the game as a game versus an ongoing narrative, and providing in-world information is going to vary, and the degree to which this engages the group is going to vary based on how well the GM rolls with that flow from, to borrow from Misdirected Mark, one level of the game to another, and how invested the players are in the game. As a personal example, when I ran Love and Justice for my regular gaming group, several times we came out of the character level to discuss the tropes of magical girl stories. This is totally the part of the episode where X happens. And then we would, after touching on those tropes and how they show up in a story, dive back into the game or character level of the story. While I could see that a GM using meta terminology could rub some players the wrong way, I think it comes down to the same thing as almost any other GM behavior. Some players may prefer a GM that speaks in character for all their NPCs, but even within that preference, they may have run into a GM that is very good at conveying compelling story details perpetually in the third person. To use a popular video game as an example, in The Witcher 3, you know your main focus is finding Siri. 
You know, anytime you take a monster hunting job from a job board, that it's almost that it's most likely not going to tie into that main plot thread. But once in a while, you need the cash, materials, and increased levels to handle the next part of the main story. This is something you pick up relatively quickly, but a new player to a tabletop RPG may not quite transfer video game knowledge to tabletop knowledge. So why not communicate using a common language? Ultimately, it is something you will have to gauge at an individual table. If you have a lot of people that don't like the overt references or for whom it torpedoes their suspension of disbelief, then you learn not to do it for that group. However, reading a group is the primary skill, not avoiding meta-terminology. Meta-terminology is just one more tool in the toolbox that you might overuse or use at the wrong time like anything else. Despite the differing perspective, as always, an enjoyable and thought-provoking episode. Thanks, Jared. That's good stuff, man. It is good stuff. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Jared. Well, this is why we talk about this stuff. We're like, huh, hmm, what do you think? And we seriously want to know what the hell you listeners think about it, if you've got the time and inclination to let us know. So that's cool. Speaking of, I think Mr. Matt Bonhoff is going to step in here next and talk to us about a similar thing. Hey, guys, I apologize in advance for the long email. Too long, didn't read. Uh, version is, metagaming conversation is only bad if you want immersion. Okay, well, that was easy. We'll go into the rest of it. So, Matt continues. I'm halfway through your most recent episode where Brett ponders whether his GMing skills are obsolete since his son is doing things differently. And I had to write in with my two cents. I am not obsolete, God damn it. Anyway. Uh, aside from the need to keep the game moving forward, I think a lot of the fear of metagame communication stems from the desire for immersion. You, the player, can't know that beside, because your character doesn't, etc. Stealing, bastardizing some terminology from misdirected marker immersion is primarily concerned when interacting with a game on the actor level. Okay, so I'm going to take, take it aside. The whole level, blah, 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 I don't know if I agree with the misdirected mark approach to that. I've listened to it. I've heard them discuss it. Um, I don't buy it yet. So I get where they're coming from. Not my thing. Not yeah. Yet. So the level thing that they refer to is there's, it's kind of like levels of the earth, I guess. It's Not, layers. Layers. You know, it's yes. layers. Like, oh, I'm I'm metagaming now. Now I'm down acting as a character. Now I step out to third person. Now I do this. Now I do that. Yeah. I get it. It's trying to codify a thing that occurs. Anyway, right. as an aside, I don't necessarily buy the whole thing, but doesn't mean it's a bad idea and it doesn't mean that matt and jared's perspective from above are wrong so anyway he continues uh actor level play doesn't appeal much uh doesn't appeal to me much i prefer gaming style operates more frequently on an author level microscope is a popular example of an author level game here we're less concerned with the players having the most authentic experience possible through the eyes of the characters and more concerned with everyone working together to craft the best story possible as such, from an author level, metagame conversations are really good. If everyone understands and agrees where the story is going, they can help push it there. I ran a game of Masters of Omdar recently. That's He-Man Powered by Fate. <laughs> it, <coughs> excuse me, that got me. Um, I was very upfront with my players about the shape of the story. They all knew that we were basing our three-session mini-campaign on Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey as seen through the original Star Wars trilogy. We had a roadmap of general plot points to hit to emulate that story structure, and everyone knew what kind of story beats to expect. Now, it may sound like would be too predictive, but that's not the case. The plot points are general enough to avoid feeling just like Star Wars. For instance, our wise mentor wasn't Ben Kenobi. It was a supposedly reformed villain trapped in a crystal who communicated with one of my players via dreams. Because they let the players have a lot of control over the details of the story, that was a surprising development for everyone at the table. 
Anyway, I realized this kind of play isn't for everyone. Heck, I have some friends who would say that kind of game I'm describing isn't an RPG since players are doing more than playing a role, but it's the kind of game I find most comfortable. Fortunately, RPGs are diverse and personal, and everyone can find a style of game that suits them best. Keep up the good work. Matt. Yeah, Matt, that's not for me at all. I, um, like, hey, we're going to tell the story about the time that Sean and Brett did this, and here's the main story point you want to hit. I tune out immediately. Yeah, microscope, I, microscope's a unique beast for sure. Oh, yeah, but there are other games where and styles of play that people do that. I'm overgeneralizing. Yeah. Whenever I've heard that type of thing described to me, click my brain goes, nope, not fun. I've tried them, not enjoyed them. But as Matt points out, there's a shit ton of, shit ton of diversity in the types of RPGs and the way you can attack these different approaches to gaming. And I think it's awesome because yeah. a, a dude like Matt goes, hey, I love this. I'm going to play this. And Brett can say, eh, it's not for me. That's okay. I'll go play this other thing. You know, we're not stuck. It's really cool. Good job, Matt. Thank you. Over to you, sir. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for writing in and elaborating. Uh, Blake of House Ryan emails us on Game Master Meta Terms. Good day. Regarding the recent episode, Game Master Meta Terms. One, recaps are good. We all have busy lives, and reminding the players what is happening in the characters' lives allows players to get in the headspace to roleplay and get on task. You can do recaps with audio clips or just dot points on a Facebook group. Yep. Two, just list the quests as quests, not side quests or main quests. Let the players decide what quests are important to them. You can remind them what stakes are involved in each quest, but their priorities are theirs to decide it's their characters. Yep. Yeah, 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 man. Three, if there are time frames on quests, let them know, but it's still up to them which quest to do first. Yes, we can see the importance of saving the forest before getting new equipment, but the characters may not care unless they are a druid or ranger. Four. Yes, it's great when the PCs all focus on your master quest plot series, but if they don't, the sky does not fall. You can Google hundreds of maps and quests in minutes. Give them another quest for the night and see what you can shuffle around and salvage in order to keep the game going. The group of characters and the group of players is more important than a large linear plot. So yes, screw the plot train. Sorry, Sean. Oh, man. Man, man. Damn it, Gus. There it is. Now hiring orchestra uh, members. <laughs> Five, there are exceptions, like in sandbox games and funnels, but for the most part, the previous four comments hold. Ah, uh, aha. So he says, screw the plot train. And Except then five. There are exceptions. There are exceptions. Sean's plot train, she'll always endure. Anyway, carry on. I see what you did there, Blake. I like it. He left himself an out, which I can appreciate. Yeah, because it depends. That's right. hey <laughs> Number six. There are a ton of gamers now in the hobby who came in via computer games. Being aware and using some of the lingo does not hurt anyone. It well, hurts, me, hurts me a little. Hurts me a little bit, too. Right there. Right right in my... Right, right there. In my, my spleen. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. We are, not the, we are not thespians or war gamers or PC gamers. We are something in between. Blake. No, good points, man. And I think there is there's something to be said about the co-opting, and Jared started us with this, in utilizing different bits and pieces. If you stop and think, there are a number of different terms that have crept into our tabletop RPG dice rolling character sheet having games directly from video games and 
clearly vice versa. Right? The fact that I can play D&D and someone goes, oh, did this come from World of Warcraft? Oh, did this come from... No, 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 kid. No, it's over, you know. It's just, it's just, they, there's bleed back and forth. Yeah. And, and rightfully so, because why would you not? It was great stuff all around. So cool. Now I'm glad um, this uh, topic, yeah. <laughs> topic yeah, provokes some good thought. Yeah, we. I'm glad we... See, that's what we need to do is just pick up a topic and butcher the shit out of it. or People or, will tell us how terrible we were at it. Or take a certain angle that is going to be unpopular. And people will write in. See? See how see. this works? Yeah, it seems to go I well. I think we finally onto something here. 250 episodes in. We think Dude, we got this. We're thick, but we get it. All right. Uh, DM Kojo, falling damage. Greetings, masters of the BS. In terms of lack of realism of falling damage, Sean was correct. The original rules of 1E... Yes, yes. Doesn't happen often. Round of applause. Original rules of 1E AD&D did say 1D6 falling damage per 10 feet fallen to a max of 20D6. First edition player's handbook, page 105, for the who's at home. But this was amended by an article by Frank Mensner in Dragon Magazine, number 70, page 13, where he explains, Carries always used a geometrically increasing system for falling damage in AD&D games. The trouble arose because the system simply never made it into the rule books. He goes on to lay out the intended rule for falling damage. Uh, so classic. Which God. I think much more sense and much more realistic. Just want to hear the Benny Hill song. Yeah. Yakety sax. <laughs> it was not until years after the first appearance of the D6 per 10 feet fallen rule that Gary finally noticed we've been doing it wrong all these years. I love that. <clears throat> the quote unquote correct damage incurred by falling is D6 for the first 10 feet, 2D6 for the second, 3D6 for a 20 foot fall. 3d6 then for the third 10 foot and so on cumulative falling body reaches that 20d6 maximum shortly before passing the 60 foot mark this is definitely more realistic than a straight d6 per 10 foot using ladder rule i've seen a tough fighter dive off a cliff into a deep canyon get up and dust himself off and start chasing monsters frank then lays out his own house rule about falling damage where he states a system shock roll for any falls of 60 foot or more, the breaking point for maximum damage, plus a save versus death for similarly long falls to see if you broke your neck or something. Personally, I plan on using the geometrically increasing falling damage as my personal house rule for all my games, whether they be AD&D, BX, Beckme, or DCC RPG. You know, Kojo, that's kind of neat. And this this brings up a piece, you know, where you had, you could be playing D&D back in the day, or whatever the game was, and then in a published Magazine, like Dragon Magazine. And Dragon Ma- Magazine used to, for those of us who remember such things, carry articles on games that TSR didn't even produce, right? So it had articles and ideas on Bushido and other game systems and so forth. And you would get this thing. And someone, oh, that's what I'm going to use, right? So you could play with somebody who, uh, it, it's just, it's interesting that they're, the way the rules were doled out in bits and pieces, ah, crap, we're doing it wrong. We should put an amendment out there. And there were no PDFs back in the day, so you threw it in a magazine article. So interesting. Good stuff, Kojo. Thank you for the info there. I like that. I do like the geometrically increasing falling damage. I like that better. Over to you, sir. Round of House Bishop. Quick blurb on inclusiveness. We talked to Paige Lightman about great episode. Goes well with you. Uh, goes well with your inclusiveness episode. I remember James Ward discussing removing epilepsy and hemophilia mutations from Gamma World between 1st and 2nd edition after encountering a boy with epilepsy at a convention. This was the late 70s slash early 80s. Keep up the great work. That's, that's yeah. a wake, that'll, that'll wake you up. Yeah, that'll wake you up. I mean, there's, 
there are certain members of my family after my sister married my brother-in-law, certain racial epithets they had to stop using because they encountered my brother-in-law and went, wow, Dwayne's an awesome guy. I probably have been wrong and a horrible person all these years. I should stop doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes you encounter a thing and uh, it changes your mind a little bit and helps make your work and you a better person. Yeah. Cool. That was a short one. You got to read this next one. Lewis of House H on hindrances, small groups, and suspension of disbelief. Good relative time of day, BSers. Just been getting caught up with you guys after doing some traveling and couldn't help but chime in on a few things. Sorry about the length. Never apologize about the length. First, in episode 245, PC hindrances, I wanted to share that I think min-maxing hindrances is a group-by-group thing. I've been in groups with really strong role players where this sort of thing isn't an issue, but I've also ran games at the local comic book store where we would get a widespread of players. And yes, a lot of them forget their disadvantage as soon as build points have been added to their character. I also wanted to recommend to your listeners the model for hindrances found in the game Hollow Earth Expedition. This is one of my personal favorites in HEX. If you select a hindrance when you create your character, you gain a style point, a Benny for your character. Then as you play the game, anytime you present the flaw in a dramatically satisfying way, the narrator gives you another style point. This encourages the players to use their flaws to complicate things for themselves or add tension to the story. It's rare for someone to forget their hindrances in that system. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. While on this topic, you had a viewer respond about having disabilities as a hindrance can be marginalizing to players with disabilities. So I think just to clarify that statement, we had somebody write in stipulating what if you had somebody yep. that had disability. So the person it, themselves It was a topic did. saying, hey, how do you, boy, this could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I work with children with disabilities for a living. And while this thinking seems profound on the surface, I actually find it to be a double-edged sword. First, people with true disabilities already know and feel the hindrance of their disability. Pretending that mental illness, physical limitations, or what have you isn't bad is just an act of walking on eggshells. The affected people know firsthand the struggle it presents. I do see that some phrasing can be more derogatory than others, but most folks with disabilities are used to a variety of terms uh, thrown around, handicapped, disabled, disadvantaged, special needs, etc., and would probably respond well to just a direct conversation. Hey, man, this game refers to being wheelchair-bound as a flaw. Does that seem kosher and comfortable, or do you think that there's a better way we can express it? Also, this is an important point. I think that having people without disabilities take on roles and design heroic characters with disabilities is a total positive. It really helps to show that a disabled person is still a human being with abilities and contributions to be made. Yes, a player can take things too far playing out these hindrances, but I think the benefit of having these types of characters in games way outweighs the possible offense it may create. Moving on. On episode 246, Small Groups. Started role-playing back in the mid-80s, and even back then I found it funny to see all these D&D modules with for 6 to 10 characters, levels 8 to 12 on the cover. Well, that's why we played 
two or three characters at a time. Because <laughs> you had to. Yeah. Because we only had three of us at the table. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, we're, we weren't getting 12 people at the table <laughs> oh, back, no. back in those days. No, we were not. I wasn't anyway. And maybe it is a Midwest thing, but I never heard of anyone with more than like five people in the regular RPG group. Nope. You're, you're hey, pointing at, point my finger at my nose. Yeah, no, that's all I knew of. Outside of conventions, I don't know that I've played with more than six players, yet all that old school stuff seems to be designed around an average of eight. Do you think groups have shrunk over time? So, again, this is we're not talking about players. We're talking about player characters. Yeah, I think that's interesting where the notation was, I'll have to grab, I'd have to grab one of my modules to verify, but it was for characters, number of characters, not number of players. Correct. And I think that because we now synonymous, Synonymize synonymously say one character per player. Right. No. The idea was well, we need ten. We need six to ten characters. All right, we can. There's four of us playing. We each take two characters. Great. We got eight. We're in. There we go. Yeah. That's how we rolled. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Do you think groups have shrunk over time? I would say the average group I hear about nowadays is four players and a GM. Would you concur? Yes. Yes. Uh, or do you think groups were always about four to five players and that the Lake Geneva folks just had it better than everyone else and didn't realize? I think that some of the original players, uh, designers and developers, did have better luck, right? They'd have the entire staff or they had lots of friends or they bring people in and so forth. But generally speaking, I think our earlier comments around multiple characters per player was more common. Yeah, I think that's so my too. That's my going in supposition. If I get a hold of... Um, well, the old guard at some point and ask, I can maybe verify or quantify that. But that seems the stories I've heard in the few times I've talked with some of the older gentlemen and ladies who have played. That's what I've been told. Yeah, I've never heard of a, I haven't heard it as a common theme of having eight to 12 players. Mm-hmm. I, I just haven't. That's not to say that it hasn't happened, but I just haven't come across it as kind of a standard. Uh, he continues, last for episode 248, suspension of disbelief. I think the thing that breaks a game for me is when a broken rule is exploited by one of the players or GMs. Like the players are trapped in a tower fight and the buff fighter jumps out the window to escape because he knows the terrible falling rules will allow him to survive the fall. It isn't the terrible rule that would turn me sour as much as the player making this ridiculous action choice because the rule exists. Huh. Yeah. They're yeah, they're they're of course. Yeah, they're it's <laughs> no, I, I get it. Like, hey, yeah. I can hold my breath for like ten minutes, so I'm gonna hide under this river and then jump the goblins. They'll yeah. they'll, they'll be here in in like five rounds. That's yeah, not even I can totally even, do it. I can do it. Rule says. Yep. <sighs> no, I get it. I hear you. Anyhow, have a great week. Hope you enjoyed the fourth, Lewis. They had a good fourth. Thanks, Lewis. Yeah. The fourth can't complain. Wasn't long enough. Yeah. All that's right. our that's our Independence Day, everybody. Yes, Americas. <laughs> I did get to I did get to stump my son. AJ, do they have Fourth of July in Canada? Oh, you did. Well, not. I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> no, they don't. I said, well, they do. They just don't celebrate they, it. They oh, third, Dad! The, they have the third, the fourth, the fifth. Yeah, yeah. That was good. Ha uh, ha! So, <laughs> yeah, dad jokes. Dad jokes. Greg Palachek commented on starter boxes. The Pathfinder box is even better than the D&D boxes. Double-sided laminated maps. One blank, uh, one cave complex. Oodles of Pathfinder pawns. Pre-gen characters. I ran the base pre-enclosed game for two kids 
of one of my high school friends, one with autism, another with Asperger's, and the completeness of the game box made it easier for them to learn. A child with autism ended up being the most creative player in the scenario. Well, cool. There you go. I. And um, part of it for me, I don't, I go, oh, beginner's box, oh, starter box, I don't want that. And I'm starting to think I'm missing out on some of the kick-ass new starter sets that are coming out. I'm like, huh, maybe I should maybe I should pick that sucker up. All right, man, I think that's it. That Did is pretty well. It. Got that done yeah. in a half hour. Yeah. Thanks for everybody that wrote in. Very good um, discussion. Awesome feedback. Our listeners yeah. are great. Yeah. Let's get into the main topic. <laughs> All right. We called an audible. Yeah, we did. We got done recording. We picked a topic. <laughs> we ended. And Sean and I off mic started ja- uh, jabbering. And we both started talking about Dragonlance. And next thing you know, we're like five, ten minutes in discussion. We're like, yeah, we should we should just talk about Dragonlance. Oh, probably probably <laughs> knock this out. Yeah, we should just get this done. We've so, been wanting to talk about this for a while. So, so let me, because I know Brett's going to have one angle he wants to cover but for those that don't know what Dragonlance is, I want to. I just want to cover that quick. No, don't get out. Just put down your podcatcher. You're done. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I'm kidding. It's literal fan fiction, right? That it is. Like it's fan fiction. Laura and Tracy came up with the universe, mm-hmm. and they ran a D and D game. So the D and D game, from my research, came first, and then they wrote the books, and they read. Exactly like they, write, they do read just like an, you would imagine D D. Yes. So, from a quality of literary perspective, they're not that good. There are going to be people that will hear this. I know Forrest and Gary can't stand them. Oh yeah, I know, and he's like, they're Forrest terrible. is also a published novelist. So yes, yeah, he, and but they, I just went through reread. I'm starting to reread them uh, audiobook wise because I've got more time. And the guy actually the the current. Un, um, unabridged audiobook isn't bad. The guy does decent voices and it's a single um, yeah. single narrator. I think I have the same one. And uh, there's points of it I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Read them. Reading them is even like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you what though, and this is the piece that Sean and I both said, when these hit the, when these hit the streets, I was in high school. Yeah. And I when, found- when did, they, when did they hit the streets, Brett? You know? In the 80s. Yeah. Do you know- you know I when, don't remember when. 1980, remember. 1984, November. Yeah. So now you know how old you were. Yeah. Wow, I was young. Yeah. I, was a, I was a much younger me than now. Yeah. But it was, um, they were readable, gro- grokkable, the whole bit, and it felt like, you know, I, I could read about D&D without being picked on at school, right? So that was sure. cool. Sure, sure. Um, but I was really at a time when there was not a lot of there was Terry Brooks. I mean, I work bookstores through uh, college and stuff, so there was some fantasy out there, but newer stuff and stuff that was directly connected to the game I loved did not exist. Really, I mean, there were the Greyhawk books, but I never read them. Gary Gygax had his um, uh, shit. What the hell was that guy's name? I'll come up with it. The books are sitting right behind me. Anyway, Gygax had some. Um, Gord the Rogue. There we go. The Gord the Rogue books and whatnot. But Dragonlance had this wonderful cast of characters, these crazy personalities, and it got really fucking nutty after a while. But I'll tell you, man, you read the first three, the Chronicles, and then you picked up 
the legends, the time of the twins, the test of the twins, the war of the twins, Rachel and Caramon. And then you got the, the tales, the next trilogy, the tales one, two, and three. And then you got to meet some of Caramon's kids and learn about Raceland's daughter and some of the other bits and pieces. It was really, really cool. And I don't know. It really, it, it captured myself and just about every gamer I was friends with. Actually, yeah. that's how I met uh, a girl, uh, well, not now a woman, a, a girl at the time. I dated her for a very long time and her love of the Dragonlance stuff got her into gaming. And, you know, it was, it was a big draw. Lots of people read those books who were not gamers and then found out there was a game about them and like dove right in. Yeah. So... First, the first book was Dragons of Honor Twilight. We mentioned that was published in November 84. And uh, the books were written by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Tracy resides in Utah. Mar Margaret, I think, is still here in Wisconsin, now in Lake Geneva. Could be. And I she... Um, Sovereign Press. Yeah, Sovereign yeah. Press. So Dragons of Winter Night came in April of 85. Mm -hmm. uh, and Dragons of Spring Dawning came in November of 85. So they went on to be how many novels do you think, Brett? Ballpark that 30, have they've written 30, on Dragonlance? Thirty. Oh, more. Fifty. More. Eighty. More. Hundred. More. Two hundred. Close. Hundred a hundred and ninety novels. Wow. hundred and ninety novels. Uh, including over twenty bestsellers and sales in excess of twenty twenty two million dollars. And they were they've been translated in to 11 different languages. Joe Manganiello is a huge Dragonlance fan. He is a huge Dragonlance fan. Yeah. So he, they had eight video games and an animated movie. Yeah, which I heard is abysmal. I still want to I still want to buy it though. It's like on iTunes or something. I'm so It's on YouTube. Is it? Oh, it's on YouTube. I, it has over 3 it. million views on YouTube. The whole the whole length movie is on there. Uh it was released in 2008 and starred I mean, no slouches. Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, that's the name I remembered from it. Yeah, Lucy Lawless. Okay, from Xena Warrior Princess. Yep, yep. Michael Rosenbaum, which is who is the Lex Luthor in Smallville, mm -hmm. as well as Michelle Trachtenberg, who is from Buffy and Gossip Girl. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, two thousand one, which was around the time of third edition, Wizards licensed. Dragonlance, the Sovereign Press, which is Margaret's company. Is that when they did the saga uh, system? Yes, around there. Okay. Yes, they. I mentioned that there was a saga system. I, I, I don't remember when that came out. I did see it, but I didn't make note of it. Um, so Dragonlance campaign setting was released for third edition in 2003. And then 2007's, 2007 Wizards did not renew the license. And as far as I know, it hasn't been renewed since. So what's Dragonlance about, Sean? Dragons and Lances? Yeah, man, dragons. So they, they created it because they were talking about Dungeons and Dragons, and they had a shit ton of dungeons, but not enough dragons. Like in scenarios and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. things of that nature. So they're like, hey, why don't you go ahead, Brad? I spoke for a while. All right. Give us the so, lowdown. So the Dragonlance world, um, one that I look at it, it's actually a post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the world was this wonderful, was this really cool place. They have these Knights of Salamnia, these very powerful paladin cavalier types. They had these 
high um high do you remember wizards. The, do you remember the ranks um knight of the there's the kingfisher the crown and the rose i think we're sword crown and rose sword crown and rose i, I think, think it is sword crown and rose sword crown and rose yes yeah. rose is the top crown and second somebody's going to definitely correct us if oh wrong. yeah i yeah. should have my my uh Dragonlance book is on my shelf but anyhow so then there's there's three different types of wizards the white robes the red and the black so good neutral and evil what else there's three moons no no yeah lunatari um solanari and um Nunatari. but the red um, and the white and the black also stood for other things such as good evil and neutral yeah i, just, I said that good evil neutral oh i didn't know you said I that. that oh yeah i oh, said that oh okay um so anyway in this in this world things are going it's going really well of course there's tons of different elves there's goblinoid races trolls and all sorts of things and at one point men people everybody not just humans everybody kind of does the arrogance they become obnoxious they turn away from the gods become annoying and the gods hurl a big flaming mountain down on them and say fuck you um and they splatter <laughs> the <laughs> Anselm, the main continent it just cracks and dist- and that's the cataclysm everything changes cities are sunk seas are emptied seas arise where they don't belong and the gods are gone. No one, wor- no one can find them. No one worships them. They're just not listening. People will turn their backs on them. And uh, that was like 300 to 500 years prior to when the novels start, about 300 years ago. So literally constellations that represented each deity disappeared from the sky. Well, not that they were there. They were there until uh, the time of the books. I, I just, thought they were gone. No, I just, I just reread the books. Too. Oh, okay. So once... Things start into motion, and Paladin, the platinum dragon, that one disappears, and so is Tachesis, the god, the queen of darkness, which is Tiamat. Um, but anyway, so there were dragons, there were lots of magical, mystical, crazy things. But after this cataclysm, it all goes away. The Knights of Slamnia and the good dragons, they mounted these dragons, had these big silver dragon lances, fought the evil dragons, you know, defeated them, you know, saved the world, the whole bit, and then everything just kind of goes into the decadence and then boom, this post apocalyptic setting occurs. And that's where your character started in the novels. Yeah, but it's not post post apocalyptic like Road Warrior. No. It's, it's still kinda it's like sort of Shannara fantasy. Sort of Shannara is even more drastic because sort of Shannara is based yeah. in our world. Yeah. Like after nuclear holocaust type of thing. This right. is three hundred years ago, which is not that long ago. No. Right, and right. it changed the entire face of the planet. Maps don't match anymore. What used to be isn't. The dwarves uh, in Tharbarden don't come out. The elves had a big Kinslayer war. Lots of problems and so forth. So it's it's ripe for a big epic. Get the band back together, right? <laughs> it's, right. It's it's ripe for that because things aren't what they used to be. People are doing well, right? But spiritually. Um, they are either searching for the gods. They they're they're angry at the knights of Salamni. They fall from grace. Um, they're def- uh, reviled in certain areas. Elves are feared, not trusted. All sorts of goodness. Yeah, there's all kinds of blame too, right? Oh yeah, plenty of blame to throw around. Yeah, it's the humans that that anger the gods. No, it's the elves. No, it's you. No, it's that. Oh, the dwarves never lost their clerics. Mm, yeah, they kind of did. Um, yeah, sort of happened. Or even just. I think with the dwarves going back into the mountains, they they said, oh, screw everybody. Yeah, it, and yeah. it's 
Dragonlance also has these wonderful bits of whimsy to it, where whether you like it or hate it, you have gully dwarves, which are these really obnoxious little boopo. Boopoo. 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 It turns out to be the the one character, Raceland the Wizard. The Grand um, Bulb. The, the, the High Bulb. High, high bulb. bulb Fudge the First, the Great. <laughs> <coughs> high Bulb Fudge the First, the Great. Yeah. yeah. So they're this weird they, kind they can't of- even, They can't even count. They can count anything bigger than one is two. Right. So how many of them? Two. No more than two. Okay. Great. Good to know. Um, and they also have Kender. And Kender are their answer to- I remember reading this in a- Art of Dragonlance book when they were talking about it. Kinder are their answer to halflings. And uh, Kinder are these slender, perfect thieves, pickpockets, lockpicks. They're great at this stuff, and they constantly steal stuff from everybody around them. They can't help it. Yeah, they're they're literally like a menace. They are klepto... If they roll into town in force, they're like a pack of kleptomaniacs. But they are so childlike and innocent, they don't even know they're doing it. They don't do it on purpose. It's just a thing that happens. They're all afflicted with wanderlust. They're they're not afraid of anything. Right. Anything. No, they're immune to fear. I mean, they're immune to fear. fear. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a t- point in one of the novels where Tasselhoff Burfoot, the, the kender, is falling. He goes, huh, I ain't going to die. That kind of sucks. Kind of, you know, I wish right. I could have done another thing. <laughs> oh, is that a horrible dark elf banshee? What's that look like? You know, it's nothing faces the kid, you know. So yeah, there's <laughs> excuse me, and oh, and the gnomes, they this is like the advent of the tinker gnome. When in D and D you see the gnomes are tinkers, they build stuff and so on. Um, that's Mount Nevermind, and Kryn, and Mount Nevermind comes from someone would ask them what the gnome's name for the mountain was, and it would go on to blah 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 blah. Oh, never mind, and that's how it gets its name. Yeah, because so, they they had, they were notorious for having very long, huge names about names everything. For stuff, yeah. Yes, it's you know not a. It's not a decorker, you know, it's Brett and Sean's everlasting steam powered hydrodynamic hydrodynamics is a big word. If I remember correctly, you know, <clears throat> that pulls corks from bottles while also spinning, you know, just these crazy ass names. So, so these bits of whimsy plug into there where there's these serious moments of the dragons are coming back. The queen of darkness is coming back. There's the gods are coming back to Kryn and people are recognizing them. Clerics are re are, are coming back. Oh my God, we got to figure this out. Oh, this craziness. And then there's this almost jarring whimsy <laughs> components and pieces of it. But from a player perspective, from, from a DM perspective, if you're running in that setting, there are these great opportunities to instill some humor, right? Just some goofiness, which is, which can be fun. Yeah. It is not, serious it's not serious business all day every day no it's not books. this is not brett uh grimdark avalon this is no yeah. and those not that at all and the angle that brett's gonna take which we will get into is is how the adventuring party is so similar to D. so <laughs> having said that the humor of a D party does come through in the books in the in the party so oh, the, yes. the autumn the there's three in this the books in the beginning i mentioned those three autumn twilight starts literally with old friends reuniting mm-hmm. after five years av- after exploring the world like you're hey everybody we're gonna split up go find out what you can yep they're and all searching all for information on the true gods are they out there are they not um and then I've mentioned, like brett mentioned l- we learn that the gods have abandoned the world and heretics are becoming more prevalent mm-hmm. and uh, the heroes find hope 
when they come across two individuals uh, in the first book. So that's what that book is kind of about, and, and it goes on from there. But can you name all? You just listen. You just listen to the all, book. The, so. the thing there's there's nine of them. There's nine. There's people nine in the party. characters in the party, and then there's also, and then you could, well, is it kind of sort of? So at the end of this, you've got Tannis Half Elven, who's the de facto leader. Yep. So you got Tannis Half Elven. Yep. Raceland and Caramon Majir. Uh, yep. Raceland, they're twin brothers. Raceland is the sickly, gold skinned, um, hourglass eyes. All he sees is death. He literally sees everything he looks at is crumbling and falling apart <clears throat> because after he passed the test of high sorcery at the Tower of High Sorcery to become a full mage. This was inflicted upon him. His brother, Caramon, is this hulking brute. They're like this wonderful diametrically you know, opposed personality types. You have them. Uh, Flint Fireforge, the dwarf. Tassolf Burfoot, the kender. Um, Stern Brightblade, Knight of Slamnia. Errant Knight of Slamnia. Um, let me think. Then you have Riverwind yep. and Goldmoon. Yep. Uh, two plainsmen. Yep. Riverwind would be the barbarian, Goldmoon uh, cleric type. Um, then you have, let's see, that's eight and nine would be Tika Whalen, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And Tika is the uh, barmaid that they pick up from the end of the last home. No, is it the last home? Yeah. Yes, in the last home in yep. <clears throat> where the group starts. Served up Otix potatoes, man. Spiced potatoes. I have that recipe for Otix spiced potatoes. There, mm. There is one person that's missing, though. Literally. Let's see. So you also have Lorana. Well, no, no. Oh, oh, you try. Oh, Kitiara. Yep. Yeah, Kitiara. Uh, so she was, was part of the original. She was part of the original group. group. She was the half sister to Cameron and Raceland. And when they disappeared five years ago, she did not return. Right. She sent a note back during the reunion. During the reunion, which yep. lands on Tannis, half elven, who turns out those two are a little more than just companions. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. And um, so Tannis is. Every one of them has the interesting piece is all the characters have their own flaws and things that bother them that they're struggling with. Some of it is like nonsensical is too strong. Some of it is kind of like, oh my God, really? Um, no one trusts Raceland because he's a sneaky, power-hungry wizard with this crazy sickly cough. Even though he saves everybody time and time again, they save him. They still have this. Everyone's pretty sure he's evil, but oh, we're going to help him out anyway. Nobody beats the, the living shit out of the Kender, even though he steals crap from them periodically. Everyone follows the bastard half-elf who is struggling between being human and being elven. He has an elven woman he loves, Lorana. He still loves Kitiara. Um, so he's struggling with that stuff. Riverwind and Goldmoon, their own racial prejudices. Flint is the one He's like, between he and Tasseloff, Flint is almost comic relief and common sense. The stoic dwarf. The oldest of the lot, right? It's Stern Brightblade from a fallen family trying desperately to reclaim his birthright and all this stuff. Everybody has a reason what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, there's baggage all over the place. Tons of baggage. Like, Jeez. back up the semi. Just you want to punch baggage. a few of them right in the face. Like, Tannis would, I would like to punch in the face a few times. Yeah. But when you listen to them talk and how they interplay, Tannis says, Stern, I'm not going there. If Raceland says so, I don't trust that mage anymore. <sighs> Tannis does a deep breath. Look, here's the deal. You follow me. You're a knight. Your word, you've given your oath to me, right? All right, fine. Fuck it. I'll go do the thing. So it's all, it's a lot of weird inter-party negotiating that happened a lot. I don't know if it still happens, but I, de I definitely recall it happening a lot when I was younger and even in some of my gaming groups now. 
where the player's like, I don't know if I'm really into this mission. Look, we've got to do this thing. We have to help this person. We need to do Well, I'm really not here for that. Yeah, yeah, but you're going to do it anyway. Come on, let's go. And there's a lot of dissent as to what needs to be done and the right way to go about it. And they all somehow, some way come together. And despite all their differences, when the shit hits a fan, they start fighting together. Which is which is a D and D group. I hate you, fuck you, not a stupid cleric. You're doing this. Oh my god, goblins, whack, 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 whack. Now we're back to arguing again. So it's not like I said. Is it well written? Eh, I would, I would, I would say no. But you read it, and you if you read it from a, this is me looking down on my gaming group and watching them interact. This is exactly how many people I played with interact. Or and or and. If you have a group where it's, I don't, I, this isn't what my character would do. The books can show you how you can get around that within the game. Well, Stern Blightblade has the, the code of Islamic code. He's like, I am honor bound. My honor is my life. I'd rather die than this. Yeah. I will not hide. I will stand here. I will, right. I will shout a war cry, salute my enemy before, before I attack him. I will never strike anyone down from behind. <sighs> okay. Right. How about um hmm, let's take that code, flip it upside down, turn you around, and how how about now? Fine, I'll do it. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Yes. Getting the crazy kender who doesn't want to listen to do what you need him to do. Right. It happens. Yeah. Or threatening him. Or threat oh yeah, there's threats. I think at one point Raceland threatens to turn him into a cricket and eat him. Something like that. Definitely threatens him about casting a spell on him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah better not do that." <laughs> better not. All right, that that one's serious. Yeah, which is weird because if he doesn't have any fear, it's kind of weird that he would even fear that. But and I think that's it is that's an interesting that, point. That's a weird dynamic. Like, it is a wait weird a minute, piece, but it's also like, hey, I respect this person. He is my friend. I'll let that override me. I'm not really yeah. afraid. I just don't want to upset him. Yeah, right. You have to put a spin on it. So, to be clear, once. The shit hits the fan, right? So, spoilers. Once it all starts to come back, there's fucking dragons everywhere. I mean, you were up to your ass in dragons and dragon lance. And there are indeed dragon lances. And at some point, there is mounted dragon combat. dragon on Hot dragon on dragon combat action occurs in the skies, on the ground. <clears throat> there are deities that walk the earth. It is big in scope. There is... There are bits and pieces dribbed and drabbed throughout. You get to, you span the whole continent. You get down to the ice sheets. You meet the white dragons. You see the blue dragons, the copper, the silver. <clears throat> there are mountains in the shape of a dragon. The one elf warrior um, prince falls in love with a silver dragon transformed into a into an elf. There are wild elves, high elves, sylvanesty, qualanesty. It's, there's a lot of stuff, you know, and it all... It gets mixed in, and it's it's <laughs> it's quick, right? You read these, but they're not huge novels. No, you go through them, but the they're quick a, reads. They're very quick reads. It was the thing that Margaret and Tracy did, I think, very well. <clears throat> Whether I like the, I mean, you know, junior novelist type of thing, and I, I can say that now, acting snooty because I've never written a novel, so God knows yeah. what mine would yeah. be like, right? But. They were able to move things from place to place. They may have lingered certain times, but as they moved across the continent, they went and explored every facet. By the time you were done reading those three books, you knew a fuck ton about 
that world. Yeah. You knew a lot. Yeah. And they split the party. Oh, yeah. A few times. Yep. When you've got nine player characters, man, you got to. Some people can't make the table. Sometimes you got to get over here, get a little side quest going, you know, got to get two different places. So the other thing you're speaking of, I mean, so dragons are unique. Dragon lances are unique. Regular interaction in with that stuff, right? And uh, they also, for some reason, gold has no value. Steel pieces are what's valuable. And the, the idea is that steel is very, very important. It's very valuable because you make stuff out of it, which I'm like, hmm, odd. What? We have swords and shields and armor, and you seem to make that shit all day long. But what? <laughs> but they're they're a value, I think. That's why. Yeah, I know. It just it's it's odd to me that your coinage would be something that has spoilage built into it because it's steel; it will rust. Uh-huh. It just seems odd to me. But yeah. it's a it's one of those things that go, huh? Eh, it, a, it doesn't break my disbelief, though. That sounds like a Tracy Hickman home home rule. Yeah, it's like like in my Avalon setting where it's like silver standard, right? Like, oh, let's have steel pieces. I'm sure. What the fuck? Why not? Right. Hell, Rollmaster had brass, bronze, <laughs> tin. There were tin pieces in Rollmaster. But they had they have one thing we haven't mentioned, Brad. What's that, Sean? They had one badass mofo NPC baddie. Lord Soth. Lord Soth. Yeah, the Death Knight. And he had a story. Yeah, there is Knight of the Black Rose. There is actually he went to Ravenloft, and there's a Ravenloft novel about him. Oh really? Knight of the Black Rose. Oh, yes, they did a, a crossover. Yes, Lord Soth is a P is a person from Dragonlance who, who made his way into Ravenloft, but he was a Knight of Slamnia who um, <clears throat> was cursed, and uh, he ends up falling in love with Kitiara, and it's it's pretty. He, he's a cool, cool bad guy. I mean, and he's like old school Deathlight. Point your finger and use power word kill die. I mean, he literally does that in a book. Points his finger and says die. <laughs> Because that was the that was the old. And the, I'll tell you, man. They call people magic users, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that's what they were. <clears throat> they describe specifically taking rabbit fur and a rod of amber. While Raceland rubs it together in his left hand, that's for lightning bolt, or you know the the spell component there. Sand for sleep. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. All of those bits and pieces is very game. You read it, and they have enough detail and bits and pieces behind it. You're like, ah, oh, this is definitely from Dungeons and Dragons. It feels it's got all the right bits to it. That when you read it, you say, ah, oh, yes, this is an AD and D game. So, Sean, what did you like about it? What made you like? Oh, this is so cool. We talked kind of. Well, I think it hit me at a time where, you know, I was most um, could be influenced. Uh, impressed upon. It was a quick read. I wasn't a big reader, I don't think, until I hit Dragonlance books, honestly. And oh, okay. I devoured I devoured those suckers. Um I think one of the twins books, which is the second trilogy, um, I think I literally read that in a week, which is like the fastest book I've ever read. And the when you get to the twins books, there's time travel. Yes. They go back, and you learn more about the history. There are Minotaurs. There are race. There are sentient race. If you bought the first edition AD&D book, you can play the Minotaur. There are, are ogres called Irda, if I remember correctly, that are like the most beautiful, gorgeous people on the entire planet. Not the hideous, horrible ogres, but like the true ogres. Um, just wow. You learn a lot. Fistendantilus, you learn about him and his connection with Raceland and Master of Past and Present. It's... 
it's fun. And there's still Tasseloff <laughs> causing trouble throughout. Yeah, he's like the C-3PO of all the books. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I think he ends up in all of them or Pretty some much. way or another. But I think it's it's the – it was easy to read. Mm-hmm. It was – I think every chapter seemed to be – seemed to leave off on a, oh, shit, I wonder what's going on or what's going to happen. Like, it's not a cliffhanger. Some of them were. But there you, wanted, was, you wanted more, though. You wanted to read something. You wanted to read the next one to see what happens, um, which I think they did a pretty good job at. Oh, the other piece we got, I can't forget this, is Draconians. Yeah. Or dra- Draconians or Draconians, depends on how you want to pronounce it. These are dragon people, evil it, dragon dra- people. Before the Dragonborn. Yes, before or Dragonborn. Maybe, maybe there are Dragonborn. <clears throat> well. I don't know. I mentioned this to somebody not long ago. That they're totally different. I'm like, oh, well, okay, fine, whatever. Well, it um, depends on which one you're talking about because <laughs> there's different types of Draconians. So your draconians. All right, I'm going to spoil this for everybody. So what happens is the queen of darkness comes back. There's evil dragons. Oh my god, this is terrible. They're going to wipe out everything or take over. Well, the good dragons are held back because the evil dragons have the good dragons' eggs, and they're like, "Look, um, you don't get involved, and we'll we won't destroy your eggs, right? All your babies." Okay, fine. Well, it turns out that Takesis, the queen of darkness, is horrible, nasty goddess that she is. That's where you get draconians from. You take the gold dragon eggs, the silver, the bronze, the copper, and such, and you transform them into these hideous dragon men. Some can fly, some are wizards, and some are just grunt soldiers. Capax, Sivax, Bozax. And the fun part with them is you stab one, and the body turns to stone and yanks the weapon out of your hand. You have to wait for it to crumble the dust before you pull it out. That's you, one. That's one. Yeah, you, you cut one another species. one down. He explodes. Yeah, yeah. that's another species. <laughs> another one is like acid. It yeah. melts in acid. Like, oh, what the fuck? <clears throat> so even in death, these things are painful. They're just dangerous as hell. So that was. It's a unique bad guy for the world. There and it's. <clears throat> excuse me. They're they're kind of fun, you know. And it's not. I remember I talked to Larry Elmore at the last um, GaryCon. We were talking about Dragonlance and how he painted different things and we changed stuff and whatever. And uh, I talked, there's this wonderful picture that Keith Parkinson did. Um, that's What do you mean we're lost? It's these draconians out in the woods and they're are, clearly they're mad at each other because they're, they're turned around. And Parkinson's art on those is just amazing. And Larry said, yeah, he's, he said the way Keith was able to make them dragon men and not lizard men. Ah. He said when you see a draconian that Keith painted, he said it's a dragon man. That's obviously a dragon man, not a lizard man. Right. And this is back when, you know, fantasy art is starting to become what we know now. Nowadays, we say, oh, a dragon man. Yeah, make me a dragon man. Uh, artists know and they understand and so on. But this was, from my perspective, a newer thing and kind of cool. So there's a lot to the Dragonlance area. However. What's your favorite part, Brett? I think some of my favorite parts, I remember distinctly, there are two There are two of the characters who die. And I remember distinctly crying when they both Spoilers. died. Spoilers. I felt terrible. I felt just gut-wrenched, like, oh my God, this one's dead. It was terrible. And... um because they, because when that happened, I'm like, huh, these aren't like tack on 
player characters. This wasn't, oh, this extra person that's now carrying along or swept along with the story. These are people that you knew from the first book, right? You knew all the way through that, most of the second book. You know these people, and then things are, it's shit's falling apart. You know, it gets, it's dangerous, and it's very true, and it's very, it, it made me feel as a kid reading it going, oh, my God, no one's safe. <laughs> so I started to worry about all the other characters. And like, oh, my God, well, it could be Tannis next. That could be this person next. Could be that person next. Oh, my God, maybe Riverwind dies. You know, you, you weren't sure. What was your favorite bit, Sean? Oh, you know, that's a tough question because um, it's been a while since I've read them. I was always a big Raceland fan. Um, I think I think the favorite part isn't like a specific part necessarily, but it was the. I mean, it was kind of interesting because there was this big overarching kind of thing. And I think how it mimicked D and D and the, the way D and D was at that time in my space. Got it. I think the way that, it, because that's where it would derive from. So it just made so much sense to me that it was the adventure that I would always want my characters to go on. Cause it starts out in the end, you reunite. In, it starts a, in an inn. It starts in an inn, and it's, it's Jumbo. He's so boisty, voice, vo- boisterous tonight. Now go lay down, buddy. Go on now. Um, so I think it's that, and I mean, you start out in an inn, and you can see. I'm telling you, man, you could see where the game, the dungeon master, was throwing things at the party. Oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Here's there's... an encounter, and here's where they need to go, and this is a clue. And it'd be like, okay. Here's a trap. Here's a fight on a log. Here's some here's some of this. Here's some of that. Here's some here's a wacky dragon made out of bamboo. And here's the thing. Yeah. 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 And how everything was kind of tackled by the group, and then where it ended up going to every different place. And there was always a story behind yep. the people that they would meet or the places that they would go, I think. Did you ever play in Dragonlance in the setting? So we did a little bit. It didn't really work out that well. So there was a set of modules that ran through the entire Chronicles books and mm-hmm. had all the maps and everything and all the it had all the characters. Yep. Like you picked you, you played Raceland, Caramon. Yeah. You whomever. picked the, yep. or you could roll your own. Yes. Um I happened to be Gilthinus. Um, when I was younger, I was kind of given guiltiness because a lot of how we played was how it aligned with the players. So Jeff, again, I've mentioned Jeff on the show before. Jeff would have to be Tannis. Oh, okay. Got it. So Jeff was Tannis. And then, uh, my buddy Joe is Sturm and then blah, blah, blah. But we, we went through like a couple modules, but I don't think we went through the whole arch. I played... Once, so the first AD&D book I ever bought was the Dragonlance Adventures hardcover for first edition. I started running in that setting. And it was always mixed because I did the thing what I do with Middle-Earth when I've talked about Middle-Earth role-playing before. Is I do it at, in Middle-Earth, I do it fourth age. After the War of the Ring, it's over. Gandalf's gone. Frodo, Bilbo gone. Sam was gone. It's dealing with aftermath, dealing, what's with, dealing with what is left. And 
the problem I had at the time, whenever I played Dragonlance, it was a lot of times it was a sightseeing mission because a lot of the main characters are still alive. So a lot of my players would want to go talk to this person or I want to be uh, related to this character or whatever it is. They wanted a very strong connection, a very direct connection to the characters in the book, which was okay. But it felt like, and Ed Greenwood has called it this, the Dragonlance problem. And that is those stories were like the best yes. stories. You can't play I mean, them over. No, it, it's tough because you look at it and go, wow, it's Dragonlance. We should have, and what wouldn't happen in my for my group anyway, and in my mind, it was like, I wanted to do that thing. Right. I wanted to emulate that in some way here. And yeah, they ruined, I, they ruined my ability to play that game. The Dragonlance ruined Dragonlance <laughs> for me. That's the, that's a weird thing. But I, I mean that I started, I actually used bits and pieces of it. I have in rereading. I'm like, huh, that's where I get that thing from. Cause I do shit now when I'm game master. I'm like, Oh yeah. That's where I stole that from all these years ago. That's where that came from. Yeah. I think if I were to go back to Dragonlance now, I'm a better, more experienced game master, better, well-read person, and I would look at it differently, and I would not have that same feel. I would not be trying to recapture the story, the, the feel of the books. I would be trying to create Dragonlance for my friends. We would not, we, it's been so long since any of us has been involved in it or be so new for my kids dude that it would be it would be brand new to them and no one would say oh that's not canon oh i don't remember i wouldn't get any of that crap from anybody you could run them for your kids before they read the books oh yeah i totally could yeah just like right out of the book man just yeah, grab module 1 and bust your way through them and bust your way through them did i sidetrack I go to the Walden Books. Tracy Hickman is there signing. Huh. Like he had a book. I don't know if it was one of the Chronicles, Twins, one of the books. And I, it just blew my mind. I'm like, oh my god! There I he had, is. There he is. I had a module that I bought, mm-hmm. and I had Tracy sign it. And Tracy goes, "You know, I didn't write this module." And you said, like, I, don't I think care. it was done by like Doug Niles. And you're like, I don't care. Yeah, I didn't care. I'm like, dude, I just want your signature on this module because you wrote the modules because you're you're the dragonlance guy this is dragonlance module you're you're signing the dragonlance guy exactly right right it was kind of like it would be asking you know bob dylan to sign a beatles album or something i don't know like (laughs) it's it's not a very good analogy but a little weird though yeah but it was interesting in the dragonlance in the novels told especially those first three and then the Tales series after the short stories, the three um, collections of short stories that came after that, and that trilogy. And then I started reading The other books were, got worse. I actually bailed on them after a certain point. I couldn't take it anymore. People went to the moon. It was just fucking whatever. I lost my mind. Weasel's Luck was the one I went, I'm done. <laughs> fucking had it. But anywho, um, there was a, a thing about them, and they were so epic and grand and massive in scope. Right. But still with the person. Yeah. Right. But I just I just didn't feel like I'm like, is there anything left to be done here? And for whatever reason, Middle Earth, I'm like, that was I mean, Lord of the Rings is a big goddamn massive epic thing. Yeah. But 
that one I always felt for some reason like, oh, there's after the fourth age. They left it enough. Everybody's gone. All the main NPCs are gone. Cool. I can play in this world. And I think because it was after the War of the Lands, after all this stuff occurs, it's so... If I have an adv- if I have an adventure group that's happening when Kermon is still alive, when Tika, his wife, is still there, spoilers, they get married, um, when their kids are alive, or if Tannis is still there, and so forth, I feel like not enough time has passed. I feel like I need to go further away from it. But if I go too far away, I'm like, oh, man, I'm straying. I don't know enough of that new canon, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I could... I think you're right. I could re I could rerun the modules as they are, or even if I were to go back and build a Dragonlance adventure right now for my friends, I think we'd have a blast because the nostalgia would be cool. Like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Pax Tharkis. Yeah, and nobody would be like, well, no, actually, Pax Tharkis. The way the uh, the way that ended, the uh, the sea came back in. You really couldn't get in it, and blah blah blah. I wouldn't have any of that. Yeah, it would be like going back. It would be like for me going back to Germany, the same barracks I was on, or the same concern, and say, oh, I remember that was the building we used to go and watch movies in, or whatever. It wouldn't. Yeah. It was more. It would be more reminiscent than anything. Yeah. I- but I think it would be fun. I could see that's I can see a guy like Joe Manganiello who has who loved it. He actually at GaryCon people fought draconians when he ran. Of course. He talked about that. And of uh, course. But I can see why it, it was fun. It was a first love for many people for D and D. Yeah. And from the books and such. But their the setting itself, it was so big when the that event, not the setting, excuse me, the the story was like, Oh my god, this is drastic and huge and epic and I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people who played a lot in Dragonlance and had a lot of fun with it never seemed to encounter the same problem and it may have been just a Brett problem but I think it's been long enough now that even as bad as the novels may be the setting could be fun again yeah 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 I have started re- or at one point I picked up Dragons of Summer Flame I think is because the season thing piece kind of piqued my curiosity and I, I think that might have been by Hickman and Weiss I don't I can't remember I don't remember but it is a beastie novel that's probably I, that's a big one that's yeah, I remember when that one came out and hit the bookstores that was a, that was a monster yeah. yeah that's a monster one and uh, it has its own different cast of characters obviously and the timeline is advanced but um, the the grandioseness of it is still kind of felt you know there was an, uh, an army of course because you have armies involved and there's politics involved and things of that nature and there's an interesting thing with it it's you go all over the place like in the, in the first trilogy and the world is big but it doesn't feel huge and when you get to some of the realms novels we can talk about this another time a lot of the forgotten realms novels were like in an area the moonshade trilogy is on the moonshade islands and that's it you know, the yeah, I am sh- not. I am not well versed in Forgotten Realms at all. And I know, so I know uh, Ari Salvatore and the uh, the Dark Elf stuff, the uh, the uh, Crystal Shard trilogy. They travel a bunch, but it always seems like it's so much bigger. At least when I remember it, I'm like, oh, the realms is so big that even this massive, cool, epic story, no one else heard about it. 
right? It wasn't world shaking. Where the the stuff here is would be like living through, you know, a god war. It was it was big. There were no dragons, and there's a fuck ton of dragons. Yeah. There were no clerics, and now they are. You went from three hundred years ago. There was an apocalypse that changed the nature of humanity, el- elvendom, all the peoples on this planet. The gods weren't there, and then you went from that to a new level of norm where it all comes back. And it's huge. It's not like, oh, this was a big epic story, and boy, we told a really big tale. No, this was I shook the earth, right? The things that occurred in that in that trilogy changed the world. Yeah. Literally changed the world. Yeah, there's and maps you can go pre-cataclysm and post-cataclysm. Yeah. yeah. There's literally parts in the book where they're like, it should be here. Oh, it's not. But it's not. There's a... um. In the Leaves from the End of the Last Home, which is a, another wonderful book. They put out a lot of history stuff in it, background. It has, a, a recipe, a rec- it has a recipe book in the back. I yeah. have made Fisman's Fireball Chili. It's really hot, quite good. Gully Dwarf Stew, tasty. Um, which should, it should not be. It should not be. But it I mean, it should be like there. you put in a smelly sock. And <laughs> like, what? And they have a thing called Shrimp Tarsus because Tarsus, the beautiful, was this massive city by the sea. And after the, catacly- by after, the sea. after the cataclysm, it's landlocked. So Shrimp Tarsus is basically like rabbit or something like that. It's not for shrimp because you can't get shrimp when you're landlocked. But um, anyway, it's it was. Or as, as there was so much. Castlehoff fl- goes back in time and he's like, Tarsus is by the sea. He puts that like on a map. <laughs> there is. Um, there was a lot of flavor that went into it. The maps, the book of maps, the leash from the end. There was a lot of people were so into it from a fandom perspective that when they put out the Art of the Dragonlance saga, the, oh my God, or the books or whatever, I can't remember what it's called. But I, I remember devouring that book, Leash from the Last Home, reading it all, seeing the songs. I used to know by rote the Islamic uh, funeral march, the, the chant. <laughs> you know, return this man to whom his breath beyond the wild and parcel skies, grant to him a warrior's rest and free last part from his eyes, something like that. Um, I used to know that <laughs> because it was so cool to me. And there was just so much stuff put into it that um, I know there was, there was fandoms and other things out there. And it's not like this was the first, but it was the first one that I was a part of that I really got into. I'm bumping into somebody else who understood Dragonlance and talking about things and guessing before the next book came out or whatever. It was just a lot, a lot of fun. So, yeah, it was, there was a statement I saw somewhere, but I, I failed to write it down, but it was something to the, I mean, it says that Dragonlance is one of the most popular shared worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought there was something, yeah, I think it's the, just the overall, how many novels and, um, there was some comments on Wikipedia about the critics and how they saw Dragonlance too. Um, they, it wasn't, they I mean, they made the New York, New York times bestseller list and sold a butt ton of books, but there were some that, um, well, they get panned. Well, the other thing to remember is New York times bestseller list come, came down to how many book, how many were ordered and in, in bookstores, not necessarily by how many people bought them. Omnivore theory. Have you heard of the omnivore theory? No. So it says that uh, Visions of Wonder, edited by Hartwell and Wolf, and published by Science Fiction Research Association, argues that Dragonlance is published under the omnivore theory of publishing. Which is? Which is, in this theory, the readership is made up of teenagers and completely replaces itself every three to five years. 
This allows publishers to release subpar novels and still reach a small yet profitable audience. I believe they were not necessarily published under the omnivore theory, but published um, on the theory that you did not have big name authors who would write fantasy books for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, there was something I also thought. But I you know what I'm saying is that read, yeah. Weiss and Hickman, their skill and stuff got polished. They got better and better. Um, are they the world's best authors? No. But from a creative perspective, they get better and everyone gets sharper. Usually whomever's writing their third novel tends to be better than the first if they're doing it right and so forth. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, much like we look back on some of the art in the original RPG space and people go, wow, that was terrible. That was the dude or lady in the gaming group or at the at the hobby shop who drew the best. It was the one who drew the dragon. Right? Yeah. It, 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 some of these folks were not trained at all. They were not trained artists. They had some raw natural talent. Were Weiss and Hickman, and I don't know them, and I'm not trying to disparage them, or were they trained? Had they written novels before? I know Tracy Hickman wrote Ravenloft, the original. And I mean, so it's not like these people were not creative, but were they novelists? Were they, I, I don't know. It, it, it's a hobby industry. And you take a hobby industry and you start to flex it out. You read the Gord the Road Rogue books that Gary Gygax wrote, those two novels, they're not that good either. They're quite bad. They have a nostalgia fun piece to them, but I don't think it, I don't, I guess when I hear a theory like that, I'm like, that would be neat if anybody really thought that far ahead. I don't think they did. I knew grown men and women who devoured those books. <laughs> well, I was in high school reading them. I could go to the stop, go to the shop, go to the bookstore, and I'd be standing in line with my stack of Dragonlance books and the adults in front of me with their Dragonlance books. So I understand the omnivore theory. I just don't think it was, uh, it may have become that at some point, but when it started, I don't think that was the deal. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, that's Dragonlance. Yeah. it's. I mean, we touched on lots of bits and pieces. If you out there like it, hate it, have something like, oh, you guys didn't mention this. I really wish you would have. Throw it at us. Let us yeah. know what you well, let us know what you think. If you despise it and you think it's absolute garbage and just a big pile of steaming tripe filth fucking garb, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I mean, wait, that's neat. And that's okay. I that's mean, okay. But I'm just saying, please don't waste your time sending us horrible vitriol about it. If you don't yeah. like it, you don't like it. That's fine. Don't ruin my freaking childhood. <laughs> Look at you, Lucas. Anyway, um, <laughs> what I'm saying is that if you've got something... Uh, let us know what you think. And even if you're like, you know, I don't like it, but it did inspire this. Or I don't like it, but I did glean something from it. That would be cool. And I'm not saying that we're not going to listen to bad stuff. But if you're just going to bag on it for like a page and a half, right. <laughs> I'm probably not going to read that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for everybody. Of course not. Can't but, be. You know, we, we appreciate it when we were younger. And even to this day, looking back, it's still... Well, and that the reason is because it's books about fantasy. It tied into D and D. It was published by the company that published D and D. It inspired a shit ton of gaming. It did. I mean, yeah. stuff like that helped grow the hobby. It did, absolutely. All right, let's move on. All right, let's die get roll. into die roll. So, die roll. So I did knocked out a lot for this week. Um, and Brett, if you come across anybody, feel anyone feel free 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 to feel free to feel free to add. Okay. So of course this is Dragonlance. So I found a bunch of Dragonlance links for everybody to reference. Dragonlance Chronicles trilogy gift set. We'll put a list uh, link in the show notes if you want to go and buy that on Amazon. It is a, an affiliate link 
of ours if you want to get into the books. Uh, second one, Dragonlance Nexus. I remember this site distinctly. It's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and is one of the most comprehensive sources of for Dragonlance setting. Includes fan art, gaming rules, product section, and a lexicon, and more. Like, that is all Dragonlance all day, every day. Yeah, this and, is, if you want to learn about Kryn, the world of, you head there. Yeah, and it's still going. Uh, Dragonlance movie, Dragons of Autumn Twilight. That's on YouTube. There you go, Brett. Oh, thank you. I also put a link to the original movie site, which looks like it was done... 10 years ago. Uh, it's not It's not gray, but it is pretty old. Um, the next one, Dragonlance Canical podcast, which is produced by Dragonlance Nexus. So Dragonlance Nexus, back in the day, if you found like the Dragonlance forums, it would be another site from the Nexus. Yeah. If you came across like th- this. It's like this it was is, a Nexus point it, of all this stuff. Yeah, it's like, crazy. As if. Yeah. And rightfully so. So they have a podcast, which I'm going to probably check out. I haven't, they're... 100, 100 plus episodes or something. So I may actually tune into that because I wondered what happened to them. And I'm like, why isn't anybody doing a Dragonlance podcast? Hmm. Um, and I can't remember the webmaster for Nexus. I'm sure I could go on there. It was something like, so it's not Tasselhoff Burfoot. It was something, something. Oh, God, it's going to drive me nuts. The next one, uh, which is interesting, 660 plus pins of Dragonlance art on Pinterest. So it's a collection by a gentleman by the name of Eric uh, Vamum. 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 Varnum. There's no art in there, is it? Varnum? V-A-R-N-U-M. I'm looking at it right now. Varnum. Varnum. I can't read. Varnum. So that's cool. So it inspired a lot of work by Elmore and Parkinson. uh, Clyde Caldwell. Caldwell. We're missing a few, I'm sure. Uh, But that's a pretty neat one. And then outside of the Dragonlance, so this is where everything breaks, um, the spy game now on Kickstarter uses the rule set from the world's most popular role-playing game that's on Kickstarter. Sean, being the sucker for espionage games, wanted to add that one to his library. So I backed that. It goes till August 9th, 2019. It is not funded yet as of this recording, but it uses the 5e rules, which I don't know if I'm a big fan of or not. We'll see. The last one, Mad Magazine. Brett, you ever read Mad Magazine? Yes, I did. Spy versus Spy? Not going to read it anymore. No. They are ceasing publication, which sucks because I should probably subscribe to Mad Magazine and probably would have kept it going. (laughs) Just you. Mad Magazine was awesome. Yeah. I love that thing. Sergio Aragonis, his little scribbles on the sides, the guy who did Grew the Wanderer and all that stuff. The world's fastest cartoonist. He was, yeah, it was awesome. Such good stuff there. I mean, if it's, it, I think, it, I don't know. I, I appreciated it more than National Lampoon. Ah, there you go. So that's all for Die Roll. Cool. We got some reviews. Oh, yeah. We got a couple. You want to read the first review, Brett? Yeah, the Davis family gave us a review. One star. Um, One star review. Yeah. Apparently. Hey, um, suck it, mud skipper. So the Davis family <laughs> uh, says, fully expected guidance on a cook filet mignon a free Amazon Prime membership, and a path to enlightenment to be revealed. Instead, it's just two middle-aged nerds mostly BSing and sometimes talking about RPGs. As middle-aged nerds who love role-playing games, I found it to be fun. Therefore, this decision was made to subscribe and support them on Patreon despite the disappointments. Clear evidence that path to enlightenment has not yet been revealed. It's coming, I'm sure, if only I can hang in there. 
So that was the first one. Yeah. So we obviously, in order to get five-star reviews, have to start serving filet mignon and offering Amazon Prime. Well, I mean, our path to enlightenment, we we agreed we would not disclose that on this podcast. The path so we of have enlightenment. To... Yeah, I don't. Well, Kenneke01 hit us also. I mean, we got blasted here. This is a favorite podcast. This is my favorite podcast out One there. One star right review. There. One star review. Fantastic One. folks talking about <laughs> RPGs. The banter is awesome, but I really enjoy how they interact with their audience. You won't be disappointed, but they didn't give me an iPad, and I still have to buy my own RPG books. <sighs> we just fail. Yeah, we fail. I mean, we, we, start, we start okay, but then bam. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at this one from Gruntonymous, I mean, no liquor. Terrible podcast. Not once was <laughs> offered a drink. One star. Would totally listen again. Subscribed. He has obviously not met us in person. Yeah, because I'd buy him a drink. Right. I'd buy him probably Well, the problem is he's, 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 you know, Grantonimus pulls the podcast down listening and is like, hey, where's my drink? Right. We we don't have the uh, part of, you know. The technology is not there yet. Or we're not using it properly. That could be too. I think the last one here from, uh, let's see, Morthry from the UK left us a five star. Five star. All right. Great all-around podcast. As a lifelong gamer, I found this one to be the best all-around podcast focusing on the RPG hobby. Even when the guys were discussing a topic that isn't particularly important or relevant to me, the show is nevertheless entertaining and informative. Keep the shows coming, please. So, that person, at least, seemed to have the right expectations. Yeah. Wasn't expecting free drinks, an iPad. Yes. The Path of Enlightenment. Like Path I said, of Enlightenment. I'm just, I'm just not ready to give that up yet. Uh, Brett, we've talked about that. I know, I know. Maybe. Maybe a Patreon level. I don't know. But maybe it's episode 300. Could be. Episode 300, maybe. Get, hey, there's only one way to find out. Yeah, gotta keep listening. You gotta keep listening. <laughs> that Path of Enlightenment's right around the corner. Yeah, it's coming. We're, we're gonna put it out there. Yeah. We'll probably release it to patrons first. If it doesn't show up today, just wait longer. That's right. All right, let's get out of here. <laughs> All right, for hey, for gaming and BS and and the future path of enlightenment. I'm Sean and I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers: Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Andy Hall, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark Tsaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan Lavalley, Jason Hobbs, Sky. Roger Brasslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Jeff Seifert. If you wondered about the weird pauses, it's because I'm reading them off without my glasses. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingmbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.